1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 112 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. As always, I am coming to you from the Gulf Coast of Pensacola, Florida. And coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with writer Victor Gishler. He is the author of novels such as Gun Monkeys, which was nominated for an Edgar Award, the Fire Beneath the Skin trilogy, And one that I'm very interested in reading at some point in the future, Go Go Girls of the Apocalypse, which you'll find out in the interview, uh, has kind of a Zombieland-like feel to it, and that's one of my favorite movies in recent memory, so definitely looking forward to reading that. But he hasn't just written novels, he's also worked uh, for Marvel Comics, writing for The Punisher, Wolverine, and Deadpool, And he's done some uh, independent projects as well, one which I've actually read called Sally of the Wasteland. It's a post-apocalyptic type book, and it's uh, very, very good. It takes place uh, in the South, and me being from the South, I recognized a lot of the references. But definitely check that out. Uh, You can get it on Comicsology. And we also talk about uh, his appearances at Pensacon, something I didn't know about Victor, but he actually went to college at UWF, or the University of West Florida, which is a college here in Pensacola, so that was a little fun fact that I learned. Uh, We talk about Pensacon, um, advice for those who want to get into writing, such a good interview, Victor was so easy to talk to, really nice guy, and this is honestly one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done, so... If you're interested in the world of writing, uh, Marvel Comics, uh, or really just fun conversation, you'll definitely enjoy this interview. And I do want to give a quick shout out uh, to our mutual friend Steve Wise for helping set up the interview. So Steve, if you're listening, thank you very much for that. But before we move on to our conversation with Victor, I have to tell you about my close friends The Unicorn Wranglers. The Unicorn Wranglers are an indie rock band based right here in Pensacola, Florida, and they are very important to this podcast. And that's because they supply the theme music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode. And the song you heard today is Twin Peaks from their album, Murder Mystery Night, which you can find for free on Bandcamp. Just go to bandcamp.com and search for The Unicorn Wranglers, and you can find Murder Mystery Night for free. That's my favorite four-letter word, free. You can also follow them on social media. They're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at You Wranglers. And finally, be sure to check out their website, theunicornwranglers.com. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Victor Gishler. Sitting here with my very special guest this week, writer Mr. Victor Gishler. Victor, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh,
0: thanks for having me.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I, I know we were uh, talking uh, before we started. Uh, our mutual friend Steve Wise uh, helped set this interview up. So uh, thank you and shout out to Steve if you are listening.
0: Yeah, Steve's a great guy, and, uh, uh, you know, among his many talents, you know, he's one of the guys that helps put on uh, Pensacon. So, yeah, we uh, we owe him a big thanks for sure.
1: Absolutely. And we were also talking, you were at Pensacon uh, this past year. Was that your first time going?
0: Uh, no, it was my second year. It was my second year, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, the, the guys, um, you know, Mike and all those guys who uh, – put on that shindig. They just they 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 make it better every year and they go out of their way to make guests like me feel very welcome and it's a, it's a quality convention all around.
1: Absolutely. And it's it's been cool, you know, living in the area and I've gone every year and seeing the progression of how they improve logistics and everything. Like I know in the early years having people crammed in the base center was a huge deal but that was something that was much improved uh this past year and what's cool about Pensacon is uh I've heard from a lot of guests like I talked with uh Claudia Wells from Back to the Future and she said that uh as far as being treated that was the best she had ever been treated at a convention period and she's I can imagine she's been to quite a few
0: Oh I think you're probably right and uh and I, I have to echo her sentiments. I was I was treated very well. I felt very welcome. And I'm I'm not an expert on putting on a convention, but I guess um I guess the base center is maybe not a hundred percent suited to the kind of convention they're trying to put on, but they really seem to be doing everything possible to make it work.
1: Right and and for those who don't know, uh the Bay Center is actually a hockey arena. Yeah.
0: So it, it's, yeah, not, it's more like a sports place, right?
1: Yeah, they have, you know, hockey and they have uh every now and then they have a concert. They're not nearly as many as they used to, but it's definitely not the best suited for a con, but I think given the limitations that they have, I think they've done the best they can with those limitations.
0: Yeah, and it's really, I guess it's the only place in town big enough, so they just have to do their best. But they do a great job. They make it work. So I, I'm impressed.
1: Definitely, definitely. So um, I wanted to, to kind of start off you know, talking about you. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you from originally?
0: I'm originally from uh, Central Florida. I was born in Sanford, uh, which is kind of near Orlando. And I went to high school in the Ocala area, and then I just kind of started moving around for grad school, and 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 uh, you know I ended up I live now in southern Louisiana. I live in Baton Rouge. Uh, my wife teaches; uh, she's an associate professor at Louisiana State University. So that's what brings us to Baton Rouge. But I've uh, I've lived uh, all my life somewhere in the South uh but uh it looks like for for now we're in louisiana but i grew up most of my life in florida and i actually went you know we were just talking about pensacon i actually got my master's degree at university of west florida right there in pensacola so i kind of feel like pensacola is one of my homes
1: i had no idea that's awesome yeah it's it's kind of a small world. Like I know uh, about a year ago, I interviewed someone who, like a fellow podcaster, who lives in actually near the Ocala area, and she got her degree from UWF too. And I live like ten minutes from it, so it's it's really kind of a small world.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: So growing up, I know you said you you moved around quite a bit. Uh, what were some of your interest growing up because I know you you know you've done comics for Marvel and we'll we'll get to that later but were you into like the nerd pop culture things growing up?
0: Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up I grew up with PBS. I mean, I when I grew up uh and I've told this I've told this to people before uh like I there was a time there was like a year where I lived with my grandparents. And I remember like one day my grandpa saying good news, good news, we have cable television. And back then, that meant we went from three channels to like 14 channels. You know, and that's kind of laughable now because we have like hundreds of channels. But back then, it was like, oh, my goodness. But one of the channels I grew up with was PBS. So I watched a lot of Doctor Who. I mean, for, for me, I mean, there's a lot of great Doctor Who on now, I get that. But for me, Tom Baker... And Peter Davidson are like those of that's Doctor Who to me. So I saw that on PBS. I saw a lot of Monty Python on PBS. So I I I, I can I owe public television some of my uh, nerdiness. Uh, But I also I mean I read comics. This was back. This was back before you bagged and boarded comics. This is this is when you could go into a convenience store, and they had these circular racks. And just a bunch of different comics jammed into the racks and i I remember getting the Hulk and the thing and uh Batman and Fantastic Four and just as a kid and these you know this is when like twenty five thirty five cents for a comic so that was my early a lot of my early reading, also science fiction novels and fantasy novels. my early reading was all that kind of stuff, so I feel like I established my you know what i liked uh you know as far as entertainment was established really early at a young age
1: absolutely yeah and i can kind of remember as well um going to convenience stores or grocery stores and seeing comic books and they were you know a little more expensive then they were like a dollar 20 something you know they're obviously more expensive now they're like 3 or 4 dollars an issue oh yeah but I remember being introduced to comics in that way as well, and I actually I haven't gone back and watched the old Doctor Who like you know Tom Baker, Peter Davidson. Um, I was introduced to Doctor Who uh, through Netflix when they rebooted the series with Christopher Eccleston, Mm -hmm. and since then you know like I've I've really enjoyed it. Like I never pictured myself watching Doctor Who, but it's it's a fun show.
0: You know what's weird is, is for me is that when they rebooted Doctor Who I just I did not really get into the reboot not not because of not because it was bad or anything I just never kind of had the time and I never I never sort of got into the reboot but somehow I think because of my wife I ended up watching Torchwood which was like a the spin-off and I kind of really was became a huge Torchwood fan
1: I've actually never watched Torchwood, but I've heard good things.
0: It's really it's some it's it can be really creepy. I mean, it's sort of a uh, it's it can get dark. That, that show can get a little darker, and I, I kind of like that.
1: Really, I can't picture Torchwood doing that, but I, I've definitely wanted to check it out. And I, I love John Barrowman's character, uh, Jack Harkness, in the oh, yeah. like in the Doctor Who reboot. And it's funny because he had his mood was kind of lighter like more comical when he was on Doctor Who and then he went to Arrow and played uh, Malcolm Merlin one of the villains and he just has a completely different type of personality and I I love that kind of diversity in different actors where you can see you know, playing a comical role in one show and then a year later he's playing this heartless villain who wants to destroy an entire city.
0: I guess that yeah I guess that's when you recognize that a, a guy is versatile, you know, absolutely, that's just a good actor, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Um, speaking of uh, public television, this is a show that I've like recently gotten into because uh, they they're doing a, a PBS uh, nerd thing now it's in the area where they're showing like old episodes of Doctor Who. And uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 and that was a show that I had never watched until they did uh like a special at a theater they have uh here at our uh community college that's you know also hosts the PBS TV station uh, did you ever watch Mystery Science Theater 3000
0: oh yeah oh all the time I watched uh I watched they had like the the old guy was his name Joel Hodg- Hodgson was that it the, old, the mm-hmm. older the first guy but then the second guy I watched through both incarnations of that and I thought that was and I really thought that was genius because that's something that my friends and I did anyway we would watch some really old cheesy sci-fi movie and we would just crack on it the whole time so these are guys that sort of recognized I think you know that, that other people were doing this already so they just, kind of, they just kind of made it official you know and they had these little guys at the bottom of the screen and that was an excellent show and I, I watched many episodes of that
1: it, what's cool is uh, here in town, uh, actually tomorrow, they're having a special at the Carmike Theater where they're actually having uh, several of, of the cast members doing like a reunion, and then they're showing uh, an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 on a giant theater screen, yeah, which I'm going right. to, and that'll, that'll be fun to see. But I had never knew what that show was about until me and a few friends went to that special a couple of months ago, and I'm like, this concept is brilliant.
0: Yeah, and it's a way. It's a way to get. You're sort of repurposing movies you you might not want to see otherwise. You know, <laughs> it's like if I was the, some of those movies. If I were just going to watch them straight, I might not make it to the end of some of those movies. But because these guys are cracking wise, you know, it sort of gives new life to those movies, a new purpose for them.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. Now uh, moving on from your uh, your interest growing up, what was it that made you uh, want to get into writing? Was it the sci-fi novels that you read when you were younger and then you're just like I want to do this?
0: It was sci-fi novels, it was comics, it was films. Uh it, I just I really liked the idea of a story, of telling a story and I wanted to be the guy that made people feel the way I felt when I was reading or watching a really good story. I mean, Um, you know, just, you know, something clicks. I mean, somewhere there's a kid watching a baseball player and thinking, wow, I want to do that. But I was the kid reading the comic and reading the novel and watching the movie, and I thought, wow, I want to do that. You know, I mean, I think it's just that simple. I mean, it, it it touched me as a fan and as a reader, and I just wanted to be on the other side of the equation the guy who made the thing that other people were reading.
1: Right, definitely. And it's it's someone, it's, it's like a, like you said, like a filmmaker or an artist. It's just like, I want to do that. And one cool thing I can imagine about being a writer is that you get to create everything. You get to create the world. You get to create the characters, the plot, everything. It's really kind of like the whole concept is, it's like your playground.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, if I'm writing X-Men or something, I'm 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 creating stories in a world that already exists. But when it's my novel or my creator-owned comic book, I mean, I own the thing. I I'm like the the ruler of the whole thing, soup, soup to nuts, and that is that's a cool feeling to say. I I get to decide everything that
1: happens. Absolutely, and. Uh, I know you, your first novel that you wrote was uh, called Gun Monkeys, but what was the, the process of getting to that? Like, Did you go to college uh, for writing, or was it something like right out of high school, you just started writing and writing until you eventually wrote your first novel? Like, ha- How was the, the process of getting from school to writing your first novel?
0: Well, I wrote, I mean, I wrote, I'd like, like in high school, I would write stories and put my friends in them and just sort of hand them around school you know just for fun so I knew I wanted to do that and I did go to college and I did take creative writing classes and, uh, and I just I turned in a story for a creative one of my and, and this was I mean I was really I was really into fantasy and I was really into science fiction but I wrote a, a non-science fiction fantasy story for a creative writing class and I guess it was it was a crime you know the the uh the um protagonist was a hitman and I just wrote this short story and it was a crime story and I wrote it for class but I ended up putting it you know selling it to a very small little magazine and there every year is an anthology which is the best american mystery stories and every year they collect you know what they think are the best stories and that story originally published in a really small obscure magazine ended up getting picked up for this best of the year and i thought well you know i really like science fiction and fantasy but i got some traction here evidently in this um in this crime genre sort of noir hard-boiled noir crime genre
1: right And,
0: and so while i was in grad school i just decided I was going to take this character from the short story named Charlie Swift. And I just sort of made it into a novel and it wasn't a very good, the first draft, and, you know, and this is what I tell new writers, you've got to give yourself permission to suck, let it suck. Just get that first draft done, which, and I did it when I was still in grad school, I got a draft done. A good pal of mine, a fellow grad student named Anthony Neal Smith, who is also a very good writer, um, he read it and he said, well, the good news is you wrote a novel. You, You did it once upon a time all the way to the end. You know, a lot of people, I mean, at the very least, that's a lot of typing, right? I mean, so as accomplishments go... I, I you know I, I did a, something I finished what I started so that was good. Right. But the, on the, the the bad news is here's where I see the problems and he just kind of let me know and I and, you know and I didn't get offended I didn't get upset I just took his advice and I may I rewrote that and I just made it the best I could make it and and that was Gun Monkeys that ended up being my first novel Gun Monkeys and I sent it to a couple of agents and they're like oh, we don't really want this. And and it was like five or six agents. It wasn't a lot. And in hindsight, I know that I gave up way too early on agents. You know, I I had a couple rejections and gave up. And I ended up selling the book to a small press called Ugly Town. And they were great. A couple of great guys ran that, a very cool little hip press out of Los Angeles. But it was a small press. And what lifted the novel out of obscurity was when it was nominated for an Edgar award. And I went to the Edgar awards ceremony and I lost the Edgar award. I didn't win, but because I was nominated, I went to the ceremony and I met an agent there and we, you know, we went on to get a bigger deal with a bigger publisher. And I was sort of, and then I was a writer, you know, then I was a guy who was writing for money and it was whole, everything
1: changed. Absolutely, and uh, even though you didn't win it, it's still really cool that you got nominated for an award like that. Because to me, even just getting nominated for something means that, you know, it, it's a big deal and it means you've accomplished something. So I, are, I, I think that's yeah. fantastic.
0: I think there are some cliches that are true, and one of the old cliches is that it's an honor just to be nominated, uh, and it, but I, but it's true it's true it is an honor just to be nominated and you know you're in in rare company i tell people i've now lost uh i've now lost an edgar and i've lost an anthony award and i've lost a bram stoker award and it's an honor just to be nominated but i'd like the i'd like the honor of winning sooner or later that would be nice
1: (laughs) yeah for sure for sure i can totally understand that but uh, going back to where you were talking about giving advice to writers is that just you finish your story even if it sucks. It, it's something that I think a lot of people, and I do you know, video production for a living, and it's kind of the same way with that, is I tell people who like are interns who come from universities, um, no matter what, just finish your project. Even if you're halfway through it and you're like, I really don't like this. Just finish it because finishing it is half the battle, and it's kind of proving to yourself that you can finish. You know your novel, your video, your film, anything. That that's a big accomplishment as well. And even if it sucks, finishing it is still a big deal.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, you can take a, a manuscript that sucks and beat it into shape. And make it not suck, not suck. Right. But you can't take nothing and beat it into shape. You can't polish nothing. <laughs> you got to have something that's crappy to polish to make better. So the first step is just to produce something, and then it's like, okay, let's look at this. What does it need? You know, how, where are the problems? And, and then you roll up your sleeves and get to work. But you got to have something to work on.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And moving on to uh, a trilogy that you actually wrote, uh, and I, I have a question about, you know, just writing a, like, one giant story in general. You wrote a trilogy called the Fire Beneath the Skin Trilogy.
0: A Fire uh, Beneath the Skin, yeah.
1: And uh, so what exactly was that trilogy about uh, is my first question, and then I'll get to my, I guess, trilogy and general question uh, next.
0: Well, sure. It... Um... It's a a young girl is a spoiled, the spoiled daughter of a Duke. It's a fantasy. I mean, just (laughs) you could probably guess, but it's it's like an epic fantasy trilogy. And this young girl is the protagonist. She's a spoiled daughter of a Duke in a sort of backwater duchy. And they turn out to be at the forefront of an invasion from another kingdom from across the sea and she you know her, her 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 city is overrun with invaders and she escapes and she's sent someplace she she's sent specifically somewhere where this old wizard gives her the these tattoos and she, he gives her this one tattoo down her back which is like the key or the prime tattoo and once you have that one tattoo then you can get other tattoos and each tattoo gives you another power. So she's got this tattoo of this bull symbol on the side of her arm. And that gives her the strength equal to a bull. So when she's wielding her sword, she has that strength and there are lightning bolt tattoos that she gets later on, on her ankles that gives her speed. And so it's really, she's really like getting superpowers and the first book, Of the trilogy is called ink mage because it's this ink these these tattoos that are giving her the these powers and and the, the people who have these tattoos are called ink mages so it's really the story it starts out of the story of her trying to survive being exiled from her own city and and what she can do to get you know get justice and then but then as as we go on in the in the uh trilogy we see that the gods themselves are at war and there are huge events unfolding throughout this trilogy so it starts kind of small and then builds uh, and gets bigger
1: That sounds really cool. Like that that just sounds like a like you said it it has that fantasy element to it but I like that it you know kind of starts small and then it gets bigger and you know g- grows into a larger world
0: well you know what i and and when i was actually on the phone with the the publishing uh, the, the editor of the publisher who did it um, i i actually sort of said it's it's in a way i mean these are these are characters that you care about but when you when it comes to these tattoos i mean it's almost like I almost used video game terminology, like each tattoo is like an achievement unlocked, or ga- or gaining a level, or something like that. So, you know, there's a so almost kind of a video game influence on how I thought of the tattoos and how the magic worked.
1: I can definitely see that comparison. Yeah, uh, my question about a trilogy: when you started writing the first book, did you intend for it to be a trilogy?
0: I always intended for it to be a trilogy, but this uh, the publisher they kind of wanted they just wanted to do one book. They didn't know they didn't want to commit to a trilogy. and and I get that, you know it's like, okay, if I, if I were JK. Rowling, they would probably sign me to a 20 book deal and they wouldn't care because I'm JK. Rowling, but I'm not. So it's like we, we really like this idea, but we don't want to take a chance on three books. We'll take a chance on one book. So I had to write the first book to, to do two things that it could stand on its own in case there was just one book, it would have to stand on its own right. as, as its own story, but it would have, but it would have to, at the same time, leave the door open for another two books. So, I mean, I, I mean it's it sold really well and people, Liked it mostly, and it was a good enough that they came back and said okay let's let's do the other two and then I could sort of let things go like not worry i didn't I didn't have to like squeeze everything into another book. I knew I had two books you know to to do it properly
1: and once you got the green light for a trilogy, did this whole like arcing story did it stay the same as you originally had planned or you know, as you were going through it, did you think, oh, well, I should change this or I should change that? Like, did anything change during you know, the making of books two and three?
0: A little, a little. I mean, there are always, I think there are always better or different or more practical ideas that occur to you in the process of, of writing. Um, uh, the first two books were released actually, the, the publisher wanted a serial. They wanted to release episodes. So I had to write it in a way that suited a serial. So I think I think in another in another parallel universe where I'm writing this differently, the books would probably be bigger and more expansive and, and include a lot more of the world and everything. But but because of the nature of how I was writing the book I had to kind of cut Cut to the chase, you know. And I still, in my my personal opinion, is I I think I I still developed the world really well, and, and I think uh, you know sort of developed the characters well. And I I mean, I, I think I I mean, my personal opinion is I did a good job. But I think if if I'd had a chance to really step back and take a little more time with it, I mean, I could have. These could have been like. 800 page books each you know, they, you know you know how the you know how some of these fan, i mean it could have been like a robert jordan you know kind of thing yeah uh but but in a way maybe that's good that it didn't you know because i i stuck i sort of stuck to the most important things i didn't go off on too many side trips because i had to just stick with the what the most important things were for the story
1: right exactly um, another book you did that i i'm been really curious to ask you what this is about. I've, I only know the title. I don't really know anything about the plot, but Go-Go Girls of the Apocalypse. That's uh, such an no, intriguing go, go. title. So w- what, what is this story about?
0: Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this first. We've been through four film producers trying to bring that to the big screen. And I don't know. I, I would love for a uh, another for film producer number 5 with the um the clout to get it up to make it happen to come along and and call me but but it's a very visual very cinematic kind of book which I think people recognize but it's basically uh, this guy the the um the protagonist is a guy named Mortimer Tate and he kind of has a hunch he reads the newspaper, and he watches the TV news, and he just kind of has a hunch that the things are going south for civilization. So he hides in a cave in Tennessee, and he just hides there for nine years. And then circumstances finally bring him out of the cave, and he comes down the mountain, out of his cave and down the mountain to explore the world, what's left after the fall of civilization, nine years later. And the only outposts of civilization that are left are a chain of go-go clubs. And, and these go-go clubs, they're, they're restaurants, they're clubs, they're trading posts. They're just these little vestiges of civilization, you know. And so he, he decides he wants to look for his ex-wife because he doesn't, he doesn't know anybody, so he wants to reconnect with somebody that he knew from before so it's his it's his adventure going it's a very picaresque sort of episodic novel going from adventure to adventure uh, to try to you know to try to find his wife but meeting all kinds of crazy characters and getting into ridiculous situations along the way and it's very satirical I mean it's, it's action there's a lot of action it's a fast paced book uh, but it's very satirical, very tongue-in-cheek. Also,
1: and I think that's something that it, it. I kind of think of Zombieland. Whenever you mention that, how it's you know there's action, but it's also kind of satirical and funny. And the way you describe it, where the guy's going from like adventure to adventure, it almost sounds like it could work as like a like a Netflix or a Hulu show. Where he, you follow him on this multi-episode journey as he tries to find his ex-wife and meets different characters and gets put in different situations along the way.
0: Well, I think that's. A, I think I would love for it to be that kind of a show, and I think your comparison to Zombieland is is appropriate. I think. I mean, I remember one of the producers referencing Zombieland, like saying, "This will, the the people who watch Zombieland are the people who are going to watch this." And he used *Zombieland* as one of his references. I mean, there are no zombies, but just the tone of it, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Right. You're in a post-apocalyptic situation, but it still has that humor to it that I think yeah, like, people the, people love that from *Zombieland*.
0: And I think what's in the and the the more the more appalling a situation, the more the potential for humor. Like we're just we're just gonna take like. Hey, you know what's not funny? Cannibalism. Oh wait, no, we're gonna make it funny anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it was just—it's just, it's just a sort of this appalling, like, like episode after appalling episode of that's not supposed to be funny, but it—but it is.
1: It's like, a, I can't believe they just did that type of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: That's awesome. Um, I, I definitely think that could work. Uh, as a Netflix or a Hulu show, because, I mean, with the success of the Hulu, the Netflix originals like Daredevil, uh, Jessica Jones, and even some of the other ones that aren't Marvel-related, uh, that that could be a better way to go.
0: Well, you call up your Netflix buddies. and You tell them to
1: call me. <laughs> if, if I had Netflix buddies, <laughs> I would definitely do that, and they'd also be sponsoring this podcast, too. <laughs> there you go. There you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, speaking of Marvel... Uh, you've worked on uh, a few books for Marvel, like Punisher, uh, Wolverine, and Deadpool. Uh, how did you get involved with Marvel? Uh,
0: well, the the uh, editor in chief of Marvel is a guy named Axel Alonso. But when I was when I was involved, he wasn't editor he wasn't editor in chief, but he was still a a, a very high ranking editor. And he is was a guy known for bringing in fresh blood from other areas, other writers who were novelists or screenwriters or something. And he would bring them in and give them a try with comics. And my agent, my agent at the uh, my my current agent at the time, he handled guys like Greg Rucka and Dwayne Schwanzinski and guys who had written novels but also had an interest in comics so so i said well i could be one of those guys i could write novels but also comics and and he said um yeah he could do that i said well can you hook me up with some comic book work because i read comics when i was a kid and i i you know enjoyed them i I think i could do that so he said i could definitely hook you up with comics and i'm like okay let's go and then like you know a year or more went by and i'm like well this my agent is a liar. He's not hooking me up with any econ. What the hell, what the hell dude <laughs> and but but then then one day he said, "I was on the phone with Axel Alonso. I sent him one of your novels. He liked it. He thought you might could do a punisher and i said i would I love the punisher, and it's especially because it would be a punisher max, which is their their like adult punisher, you know it's like right. rated R punisher. And I love that. I love having like no restrictions. Just do do it, you know. So we worked together, and he was and, and Axel was very patient. It's like, and he said, "We're gonna do a one shot. We'll just do one issue. That's all." And I'm like, "Okay." And and he, and he sort of taught me what not to do and what to do, and 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 I remember like sending him like a bunch of ideas, like one sentence ideas, like like twenty, like. Punisher could do this, or Punisher could, could, could go here, or do this, and he we he, we kind of mixed and matched, you know, a couple of ideas, and this was later actually. This was like after we did the one shot, and then later we said now now we'll do it. We'll do an arc. We'll do a Punisher arc, like four issues. And he and I sent him this Bayou Swamp, uh, Southern Louisiana story. And he's like, I like this. This is like, this is like Rob Zombie or uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. This is great. I like this. This will work. And he and I really learned a lot writing those Punishers with him. And I think because I showed that I was willing to listen and learn how to do it, that he that he, he wanted he wanted to give me more work. And that's how I ended up doing Deadpool and Deadpool Corps, and then eventually X Men. And so. I mean, I mean, so so. Big thanks to Axel Alonso. I think I had, I think I had the raw storytelling skills, and he helped me kind of form them, you know, into what I needed to do to make it work for comics.
1: Right. You mentioning that you're uh, that you love the Punisher. Did you see uh, John Bernthal's portrayal of him in the the new Daredevil show?
0: No, I've heard really good stuff about it, but I got to tell you, I am, I'm like super, super behind on my TV viewing just because, you know, I have other priorities. Right. And, and so it's like, and the good thing about Netflix, though, is that it's going to be there. So, so when I get around to it, it'll be there, you know, but I got, but I must admit, I just haven't gotten there yet.
1: Right, well, it, I I won't spoil anything, but I will say his portrayal of the Punisher is very, very good. Like, to me, it's the best portrayal that's ever been done for, like, that character. Like, I, I liked the, the Thomas Jane movie from, like, the early 2000s, but it wasn't written very well. I thought he played the role well, but the story just wasn't very good, but... John Bernthal was a fantastic Punisher. Like it, it was literally like he leaped out of the comic book and onto a screen. It was very. Well, you, you won't be disappointed.
0: Well, that's good. That's. good. I mean, that kind of goes along with everything else I've heard. I mean, I've heard really nothing but good things. Um, and I'm actually in con. I'm actually in contact with some of the Netflix writers. For a project, uh, an adaptation of some of my stuff, but that's just got to be a—that's just got to be a teaser. For I can Oh say wow! That. But but I would love. But the, the thing is, these things always have a way of not working out sometimes. So this might be it, this might be my only my only uh, opportunity to brag a little bit. So maybe it'll work out. That'll be great.
1: Well, I'll definitely stay tuned for the <laughs> for Punisher news. Okay. No, no,
0: no, not Punisher. No, no, not Punisher. I'm just saying some of the.
1: Oh, okay, okay, I got it. Some
0: you. Some, of, some of the same Marvel writers okay. for for the Netflix stuff, but an adapt, adaptation of some of my stuff.
1: Okay, cool. Very yeah, cool. So, so that's that's yeah, awesome. That's very. But
0: cool. but you know I'm I'm I mean. I'm kind of talking out of my butt a little bit, but it's like I said, it might be my only opportunity to brag, so I'm going
1: to do it. No, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> how was it writing Deadpool? Because Deadpool is such a a unique uh, character with the breaking the fourth wall and his you know really dark sense of humor. Uh, how was it writing uh, for that character? And he's you know his popularity skyrocketed because of the movie and
0: yeah. how well
1: it was received. But how was it writing Deadpool?
0: Uh, a pure joy, pure fun. Um, I was honored to write X-Men and other things, but Deadpool never felt like work. Deadpool always felt like fun. And I wrote Deadpool core. I wrote a, I wrote a, two things. I wrote Deadpool Merc with a Mouse and Deadpool core. And a lot of people liked Deadpool core. A lot of people didn't like Deadpool core. But Deadpool Merc with a Mouse seems to be mostly a winner with most readers. And I think that's when I, I was like at the top of my Deadpool game and I, and, and, a, and the, the artist, um, we had a couple of fill in artists and they were all great, but the, the main guy, the main artist was a guy named Bong Dazo, And he, he's a guy from the Philippines and we wrote Deadpool. I wrote Deadpool work with a mouth and he'd get the scripts and it was when he, when I would see the pages, it was like he was reading my mind. I mean, he would do it exactly what I wanted, and when it wasn't exactly what I wanted, it was because he had done something even better. Uh, and so I just feel like I feel like we totally clicked and made that uh, just a, a really great Deadpool book.
1: That's awesome, and I know you said you're behind on your uh, your TV viewing, but did you get a chance to see the Deadpool movie?
0: No, I actually I actually have the DVD sitting right here, and I'm waiting for my uh, my wife who is too delicate and my son who is too young to uh, leave town or go away, and I'll just throw <laughs> myself a, I'm going to throw myself a little Deadpool party and you know watch it.
1: Well, again, like the, like the Punisher portrayal, you won't be disappointed because it, it, was, it was such a different type of experience because, to me, the Marvel movies have gotten a little stale. And even like with the X-Men movies, but Deadpool was just such a breath of fresh air because they, they didn't overkill the breaking the fourth wall. The humor was there. It, it just worked. And Ryan Reynolds was like the perfect casting choice for that character.
0: I, I have heard nothing but that it's awesome. So I'm I'm definitely uh, and the thing is I, I I wanted to see it in the theater. Do you have Do you have a movie tavern? Do you have like one of these places in Pensacola, where they have the reclining seats and you could get wine and beer and chicken wings and it's it's like a movie theater, but also like a full restaurant. Have you have, do you have one of those places there?
1: If they did, I would never leave it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, they they got they got one of these places here, and my. My total intention was to just go and drink beer and eat chicken wings and just recline in the big, the comfy chair and just soak in Deadpool, and I just couldn't get organized and get over there. So I'm, I'm gonna just create my own little movie tavern here at the house as soon as I get a chance and watch it. Whoever but I am, a- I am. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, but, but I am. I am sickeningly behind on things I should be watching. The only thing I refuse to be behind on is Game of Thrones. I have to watch that as soon as possible whenever the next, the new episode comes out.
1: And that's a show I actually haven't got into, but everybody who, everybody I know who watches it swears by it.
0: Well, I'm just, I mean, my first love. When I was reading as a novel reader as a kid my first love was fantasy followed very closely by science fiction but fantasy uh you know I'm just a total nerd for anything swords dragons castles you know wizards any of that stuff I'm on it so so this the, the game of thrones is is like tailor made for me really it's 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 it's, uh, it's a great show And I actually, because I didn't have HBO, I actually missed like the first two or three seasons. I didn't watch it because I didn't have HBO and I heard it was really good.
1: And then one day
0: I just went and bought like the first three seasons on DVD. Mm -hmm. And I just like powered through all the DVDs. And now it's like, oh, I can't get enough.
1: And that's, that's what I hear from so many people and it is, it's just going to have to be one of those situations where I might just have to take a day and binge like the first season.
0: Well, I mean, you know, sometimes no matter how, no matter how much somebody says a show is great, you're just not going to get into it. I mean, I have shows like that. I just can't, I just don't, I just don't get it, you know, but, um, but, uh, no, I was, I kept hearing everybody said, it was awesome, and I just I'm like, well, I hope this is not one of those things where everybody says it's awesome, and I go watch it and it sucks, but no, but it was as great as everybody said. So but I'm just a fa- I mean, I'm just a fanboy, so maybe that's it.
1: We're all fanboys when it comes down to it, and that and that's <laughs> that's what's great.
0: Yeah, oh yeah.
1: Um, last book I wanted to talk to you about, uh, I actually uh, finished reading yesterday. And I enjoyed it immensely because it was something – it had a mix of action, humor, and just a fun post-apocalyptic story. Uh, Sally of the Wasteland, how did you come up with the idea for this story?
0: Well, well, you know, it's very similar in the vibe to Go-Go Girls of the Apocalypse, which we talked about earlier. Right. And I said, I, you know what, I feel, I, my gut feeling was that I, was, I wanted to do something more in that vein. But I didn't want to do the exact same thing, because that's, not, that's nothing rewarding about just doing the exact same thing. But so, so something similar, but different enough to where it could be different. And, and this, was, this was Sally of the Wasteland was not my first creator-owned book to be published, but it was the first creator-owned book I started working on. And I went to find an artist, and I remember there was a nice young man. I had been to Italy. I was invited to Italy for a book festival there. And this young man presented me with his artwork which were scenes they they were like pin-ups and they were scenes from my novel Go Go Girls of the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And he said I read this, you know, he he's an Italian guy but he really good English and he's like hey, I read this and I just wanted to draw these pictures and I just thought it was great and I'm like, "Oh, that's great." And so I contacted him and I said, "You want to do a comic book. Let's do a comic because you're a great artist." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, that would be great. That'd be great." So we pitched we pitched to another publisher which i won't name but it's a it's a you would recognize who it is and they just strung us along for a long time and i finally said i you know we can't we're not going to agree and this isn't good, this isn't working and i went to and i went to titan comics and i said cuz a, fr- a friend of mine had was doing a book there a guy I know. Oh, Rob, Rob Williams was doing a book there called Ordinary, and he said, "Yeah, you know, that's a, it's you know they're pretty good to work with." And I'm like, "Well, can you introduce me over there to Titan?" And I did. And and I, I don't know if I'm remembering this right, but my feeling was like it was less than a week. They got back to me and said, "Oh, we yeah, we'll definitely publish this. We'll definitely do it. It's great." And I and so Tazio and I, Tazio and I got to work. I I wrote it the scripts. And Tazio was awesome. He, he penciled and inked and colored all five issues himself. Wow. Totally, totally talented guy. And, and uh, it was what I wanted to do was a, I wanted to do a, a legit post-apocalyptic adventure, but at the same time, like a parody of a post-apocalyptic you know, adventure. It was sort of like, you know, it was sort of like an homage to all of the post-apocalyptic stuff. You know, you know, uh, it's a little bit Mad Max. It's a little bit. That's
1: fallout. what I was thinking of you know, whenever it's little, I. That's <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking of, like the Mad Max, the Road Warrior, those old movies. Whenever I was reading it.
0: Yeah, it was like a, it was like simult. It was like a, it was its own story, but also an homage to all these things. It was like a hodgepodge of of post apocalyptic, you know, tropes and things. And which which if you're being satirical and, and if you're if you're doing a parody, you can you can kind of do that. So we just it, it just was meant to be fun. It was another one of those things where it was like, let's make it violent and gory and funny. Well, can you do that? Yeah. I think, I think you can, you know, you just, just like, it's uh, one of those, like that's appalling, but I'm laughing. Is that, is that right? I don't know, but we're doing it. So, and he's great. And, and Tazio and I worked on, have worked on something, you know, we were, we did a, uh, some independence day, the, the tie-in comic for independence day. He did a couple of issues of that. Mm-hmm. we worked on something for dark horse together. Uh, you know, I, I, he's one, and he's doing some other stuff which I can't say, but he's doing some, not with me, but he's, he's gone on. He's, he's going to have a career. He's a great artist, but I hope to circle back and do, do more with him. And I, I, in the last couple of days, there's been some film interest and, you know, I can't, I don't, it would be irresponsible to go too far into that, but I'm always hopeful. And I'm always, you know, grateful for the people who take the time to, take an interest like that. So we, we, we got fingers crossed on many things. and You know, you, you, you do, you don't hold your breath, but you do cross your fingers, and maybe maybe something happens, you know?
1: Absolutely. And it, something that actually made me laugh out loud in this story was when the uh, Bamazons showed up, and there's these large women decked out in Alabama Crimson Tide stuff. Yeah. When, I, when I saw that panel, I literally laughed out loud. It, it, that was just so funny because it it was set you know in the south, and in, living in the south you see a lot of Alabama Crimson Tide fans, and sure enough there would be people who were fighting for their lives wearing Alabama stuff. Like it, it sounds so ridiculous, but I could see it, and it, and it was thing, so funny. Yeah.
0: And the thing the thing about these Bamazons is they are big, beautiful, muscular. These aren't petite girls; they're big, muscular girls, you know, yeah. and they're they're athletic, and so of course they got all the crimson, they got the crimson tie, <laughs> athletic wear on, you know. No, I mean we just, God, we just had so much fun. The the I mean, it's like the the we always brought it back to that. Like, what's fun? What's fun? What's I mean, there should be action, you know. Maybe maybe even there's a couple of touching, emotional moments you know there's all you know but but what's fun and and that was like that was the like the key word for that was just to have as much fun as possible
1: and it definitely was and like you said it touched on some emotional points too and i actually really liked uh the sally character because to me she was a strong female and yes she had you know the crush on tommy and was vulnerable around him but she could still pick up a shotgun and you know go to town on cannibals. And I, well, thought, you know, I thought she was a really good character.
0: Uh, you know, and I I just feel like... I, I feel like I wanted her to be a little bit kooky and a little bit crazy, mm-hmm. but, but not so much that she's not still a human person to us. Uh, but our buddy, you know, we talked about Steve Wise. Our buddy Steve Wise said to him, Sally is is uh harley quinn meets tank girl
1: i would agree with that
0: and i thought that was perfect i just thought that was perfect
1: yeah she definitely had some harley quinn like tendencies but i i I thought i thought she was a a very very good character and mentioning the independence day book i've only read the first issue and i've just started the second one but i did enjoy the first issue and i've got to give this person a shout out too but uh Steve Scott did the artwork for issue one, and he's actually a friend of mine. So well, he, he's a
0: friend. He's a friend of mine too. So that's, that's we're back to a small world there. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I <laughs> I, I had to give Steve a, a quick shout out uh, for that, but I, I've I've really enjoyed uh, that story, and I, I'm I look forward to seeing you know how how the comic ends because I recently saw the new Independence Day, and it, it and it was good. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the book as a whole ties into it.
0: Well, the thing about Steve is we were at a we we've had we spent some nice time with each other at Surreal Arm Comics in uh, Biloxi, and at at the my the first year I went to Pensacon, Steve was there, and I saw we hung out at another show, and so you know he's he's I consider him a friend, and and we were just talking around, we were just standing around talking and he's like Let's, we should work together we should do some work together and so um the, the folks at dynamite comics uh called me and said look we're we're doing like a hundredth issue or an anniversary or something of the shadow and we'd love you to, for you to do a short like a, like an eight-page short cuz we're they were doing a collection of shorts so a short shadow story and I'm like, oh, that'd be great. Have you got an artist yet? And and they said no. And I said, well, how about Steve? And and so they contacted Steve. And you know, they weren't really paying very well. But Steve's like, well, it's just a short. So that was the first time we got. He's, it'll be fun though, you know. So that's the first time we got to work together. Was on a shadow short story, and it and that came out great. It was his work is beautiful. And so they contacted me and said. You know when I was so then when I started doing the Independence Day for Titan, they said, I said, have you got an artist yet? Well, we're trying to find somebody who can get to work because we're kind of behind schedule. And I said, well, look, I don't know, I don't know if you can afford Steve or not, but try Steve. And they did, and he his schedule he couldn't do, he couldn't do all of it. He said, but I can do the first issue. And they said, hey, we'll take it because you know they had a few different artists because of the schedule on that. Um, and they're all great, uh, but Steve's issue. Steve started that whole arc off with the first issue, just Gangbusters. Beautiful work. So, so I consider, you know, I'm very proud to call Steve friend, but I'm also glad he's a good, good artist. You know, because you know he's, you know, it's it's been great to work with him the, the few chances I've had to do that.
1: Absolutely, his his work is really good. I mean, I have. Uh, a quick Batman sketch that he drew because when they opened the the Three Alarm Comics here in Pensacola, he did a, a signing and would draw Batman sketches. Well, he drew one for me and I had it framed and it's actually in my my office slash recording room. And he also did a a really good piece for uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens with uh, you know Kylo Ren, the stormtroopers, and it also had like the silhouette of Darth Vader and I, I got that too, and he he's just so so talented
0: and and what i what i there are a lot of really nice guys, but they're not maybe they're not the most talented and there are a lot of super talented guys, but maybe they're dicks, you know but but Steve's like one of these really talented guys that's also super nice and it, that's just the kind of guy in the industry that you just want to get to know.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, do you have any uh, upcoming projects uh, that you're currently working on?
0: I have a creator-owned book, a science fiction create. It's like a science fiction noir, and that's with Titan. And but that is that is coming along very slowly because the artist is doing some work for Boom, and so we're kind of working around his schedule. So we got a really what I think is a pretty cool book coming out a creator-owned book coming out from Titan, but it's it's not coming out fast. It's definitely not coming out fast. And then I also have, I always have a a novel or two I'm working on. Um, There is a horror comic. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but in Italy and Germany, in Italy and Germany and France, it was called Highway to Hell. But Dark Horse printed it, uh, published it in the United States under the title Hellbound, and it was a horror it was the horror comic that i was nominated for the bram stoker award for mm-hmm. and there's a lot of serious talk. We we're right on the edge of doing another one of those i cannot i just can't simply can't say 100% that it's going to happen but the guys are the guys are saying you know my team is saying oh it's going to happen it's going to happen so i'm waiting for them to to give me the green light on that cuz i'm raring to go on that
1: Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely have to, to stay tuned for that. Uh, do you have any uh, websites or social media that you'd like to plug?
0: I tell you what, any, I mean, I got a couple things, but I guess the easiest thing is that I'm at Victor Gishler all on Twitter. It's at Victor Gishler, V-I-C-T-O-R-G-I-S-C-H-L-E-R, all one word. And I, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm pretty active there, so if anybody out there wants to join me on Twitter, that's probably where you're going to find out mostly what I'm up to, or whatever half-baked thought that I can fit into 140 characters, you know, (laughs) you're welcome to join in on that.
1: Awesome. Well, Victor, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to do the interview. It was a blast.
0: No, thanks, and I appreciate it, and um, just, you know, when this is up and ready to go, just Send me a link or whatever. I'll spread it around Twitter and Facebook and whatever. We'll we'll get you you those extra four listeners you've been hoping to get.
1: Sweet, and four is my lucky number. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thank you, Victor. All right, you have a good night. My thanks again to Victor Gishler for that wonderful interview. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Victor Gishler. That's G-I-S-C-H-L-E-R. Next week, I'll be talking with not one, but two guests, fellow podcasters Carrie Sims and Sean Burns from Blazing Caribou Studios. They host over 10 podcasts on their network, and that is really impressive. As someone who is part of a network who hosts you know, four or five different podcasts, having over 10 is just mind-blowing to me. But uh, one of their shows um, called Trivia Geeks, which is a pub-style trivia show, I'm actually going to be appearing on in a couple of weeks. So they'll be on the show next week to discuss that and their other shows they have on their awesome network. Be sure to check that out at BlazingCaribouStudios.com. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. My personal page is at Derek underscore Diamond. And the show page is at DDE underscore podcast. And that's all I've got. So enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond. And we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.